Hey, welcome to Tangible Takeaways, episode 62. I'm Jackson, and today I'm gonna talk about how our love and desire to reach people ought to inform our need for knowledge, not the other way around. And I'm Todd, and I can't wait to talk today about Joy's cousin, something we call hope. All that and more on this episode of Tangible Takeaways. Pastor Todd, thank you for taking the time. So glad to get to be here with you today. Mm-hmm. Thank you. We switched places this yeah, week. <laughs> exactly. I am not the interviewer yes. any longer, which yeah. I probably prefer this seat. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know how to drive that chair pretty well. It, uh, it works out. It works out okay. <laughs> and, you know, we didn't want people to feel like, oh, it's the same two people two weeks <laughs> in a row. Like, this is getting a little Somehow old. switching chairs so really helps. Switch chairs, everything's better, you know, no problemo. Um, what, a, let's just, we're in this new series now, um, on the weekend, which I thought got off to a great start this weekend. And I just think is going to be a great series to kick off in the fall. Um, maybe an interesting topic to lean into a joy in the fall. I don't know what I would, um, substitute that with. I'm trying to think like maybe in the past we've had like maybe a 40 days of prayer. Sure. Um, you might think about different disciplines almost, like spiritual disciplines, because I, I just think uh, the fall tends to be such a time of like commitment and like leaning in. Yeah. Um, so what was it about Philippians or joy that felt like, man, if we're going to invest nine weeks up front in the fall, people are coming back to church, let's invest in Philippians and joy. Yeah. What was kind of the drive behind that? I think for me, a lot of it came from, again, in, in the pandemic, that was such a struggle for me to to have have these different things that I, I would literally articulate, this is stealing my joy. And then realizing that's not really true. I mean, mean biblically that can't happen if my joy is rooted in Christ. And so I feel like kind of since then, coming on the other side of it, I've really wanted to, um, because I think there's a lot of lingering effects, right? Yeah. Whether they be the mental health issues as people are still struggling with, whether they just be picking up the pieces um, for some who've lost loved ones, all those different things are still going on. We're not so far removed that we're untouched uh, by the pandemic. And so I feel like kind of coming out of that deep valley I want to meet that with a biblical thoughtfulness that I hope will will affect the rest of my life, not Mm. just be for a season. But man, if I could get my head and my heart around what biblical joy is, I think that's going to sustain me way better the next time something. It might not be the pandemic, but it might be something even more difficult in my specific life that I walk into. Yeah, it's almost like that season exposed some cracks of like, oh man, maybe I don't have that dialed the way that I thought I did. So we need to come back to that. And I think that was true for all of us. You know, I think you look at um, just the despair and the depression that was felt there, that just kind of deep levels of darkness and isolation and things like that. And it's, I think there might be part of us that thinks, well, how could anybody have joy in a season like that? You look at Paul, he's in jail. Found he's, in, he's in despair, right? And he is leaning into this um, joy. And 
I, I think we have to keep coming back to what that definition is too, right? Because it's not, um, Paul probably wasn't the bubbliest guy in jail, like just smiling all he the time. He might not have been the like, bubbliest guy anywhere. Anywhere, yeah. He <laughs> doesn't strike you as a particularly bubbly guy. So he's probably not smiling all around, but there's something, there's a, there's, um, there's a resolve, um, a resolve against hopelessness, really. Yeah. Um, a resolve towards um, hope. And I think that's something that has to be part of our biblical worldview because the confidence that Jesus is going to come back and make all things right, all things new, that has to inform the way that we live, that no matter how hopeless and how dark things seem, we never reside to um, or cave to um, that as our predominant way of viewing the world, but we say, no, man. Jesus is going to make everything right. He's going to make everything new. And I have this resolve against hopelessness. Yeah. And I almost wonder, as you were describing those, I wonder if hope and joy are cousins. Yeah. Because when I think hope, you know, we've, we've said before, it's not just optimistic thinking. I hope it's not windy out today. Yeah. We live in the high desert. That's a stupid thing to hope for. Yeah. But hope is deeply rooted in a confidence in the promises of God. And the, the one that we're probably most anticipating is to be reunited with him. So, but I, but I think of joy almost kind of like in the in-between time. Yeah. We'll talk in this series a little bit. C.S. Lewis has some profound things to say about joy. And I think he sees it through a deeply thoughtful lens that I don't know that many I've encountered before have. And it's always rooted in something to come or the memory of something you had, but it's never really present. It's very interesting to process it. But the point is, but yet what joy is, is meant to be present, mm. right? And that's where I think it's a cousin to hope, where hope is very forward-looking. Yeah. Joy is very present-looking. Like, And I love that very simplistic definition of grace recognized. Am I recognizing the grace of God in Christ in my current situation. Because mm. again, back to joy in a jail cell, well, that's all Paul could do, right? Is like, my current situation's horrible, and, and I'm not getting to do what I think I was built to do, and that's to bring the gospel to new peoples who've never heard it before. I can't do that with a chain around my ankle. Yeah. But what I can do is find, I can recognize the grace of God in my current situation that helps change my perspective to not only accept it, but actually go, it's probably useful to him. Yeah. And you, even in that cousin relationship between hope and joy, you probably, as we're building this out, I don't think you can have joy without hope. Yeah. And I don't think you have... how is it ultimately? Because otherwise it's just like this weird present optimism. Yeah. That's not rooted in anything long term. Right? Yeah. Like, well... And at the same time, you can't have... You don't have hope if you don't have joy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because the product of hope is joy. Right to know that things are going to be right one day, that produces a joy in us today. Yeah. So those things they they go together in a, a cool way, and Paul talks about he talks about that one day in this passage. He talks mm-hmm. about how God's yeah, going to bring the day this of Christ Jesus. Yeah, he's going to bring and he's going to bring this work that he started in us to completion. What what is he getting at there? Do you think in the context of the letter and things like that? Because that's a pretty famous verse yeah. that he who began this good work in you is going to bring it to completion. And we probably use it for a lot of things that maybe we shouldn't or um, maybe apply it to places that it, it was never intended to be. So what do you think he's 
getting out there? What is the good work that's going to be brought to completion? Yeah, I mean, that. what's interesting is I didn't allude to it on Sunday, but in our era of going to church in like high school, this was actually one of those really cutting edge worship songs was he who began a good work in you. Mm. And so every time I read that verse, all I can do is go back, which is cool because it sticks in your head. Yeah. But this really cool Maranatha you know, kind of thing, which I'm not going to sing right now. <laughs> um, but um, so, so you take this really rightfully well-known verse, really significant. And I shared this in the second service. It was so powerful in the second service at Victorville that I actually said something that cut across all four campuses, but it was so rich to me, is we're singing a song about the faithfulness of God. All your promises are yes and amen. Yeah. And I'm watching this guy down in the front, he's literally holding up his Bible. Mm. And I'm going, oh, but that's it. That's how we know the promises of God, because they're in his word. And I was like, there's no better image of that concept yeah. being like right, visibly showing your Bible and going, this is the faithfulness of God because he's good to those promises. And so this is one of those, yeah. right? And I and and the other thing that came out in our teaching team meeting last week, Tim Wheeler brought up was a great point, is that a lot of times we'll read the New Testament through the word you, and we're always reading it you singular. Yeah. And, and you singular, you plural in English look the same to us, so it's hard to know. But virtually, ever, especially every time you're writing to a local church, it's y'all. It's second person plural. Yeah. And so he who began a good work in y'all is going to be faithful to mm. bring it to completion. And to me, the other part that goes with that, Paul was there when God began the good work. Mm. He was there when literally the church of Jesus was being formed and developed uh, with this woman, Lydia, and then later on with a Philippian jailer and his family, and just a whole different assorted group of people. But the only thing they had in common was the most important thing, and that was Jesus. So I think a lot of it refers to the good work of faith, the good work of response, and the good work of just people responding to the gospel. What God began in the in the city of Philippi, in this group of believers, he's going to f- be faithful to carry it to completion. And I think when people process that, they go, oh, well, let's go visit the church of Philippi today. And where is it? There's a lot of ruins and not a lot of anything going on in Philippi. And and so to me, I don't think, I think if, if that's all it said, yeah, you'd go, well, I guess that didn't happen. But what, how does that finish until the day of Christ Jesus? So the faith in that faith community, God was going to be good to bring to completion back to the concept of hope because he's going to complete every promise he's ever made to them. And the greatest of which I'm going to bring you to myself. Mm. I'm going to reunite you Mm. to me. So I think that's, and that's why I was able to say in the message, I think it's a beautiful staple verse for a believer's memorial service that, Hey, and I, and I had said something similar at my mom's service where I just said, every promise God has ever made it to my mom, he has completed now. Mm. And that's so cool to think about. Yeah. And that's a little bit of what I think that verse is all about is that the the saving faith, right? Look at that word. You have faith, you're going to be saved. <laughs> so the saving faith that you have, God's going to bring it to completion. He's going to save you. Yeah. He's going to bring you into his family and be with him forever. So I think a lot of that is the nature of what that 
yeah. promises about. Because I think that's where we get tripped up, right? We read these amazing promises in Scripture, and then we superimpose our understanding of that promise onto Scripture. And then when God doesn't meet our expectations in those things, well, God's failed me. He hasn't yeah. been faithful to me, right? Like, And all of a sudden, the, the cracks begin to form. But it's because we were banking on a promise that God never made because we didn't take the time to figure out, well, what is he promising there? And man, that's true for the, that's a promise that's true for the church in Philippi. That's a promise that's true for us today exactly. on an individual sense and on a corporate sense that the faith that has begun in us will be brought to completion when we're brought face to face with God yeah. and really get to live as his family for all of eternity um, and be whole and complete, right? Like I, uh, I, I reflect so many times, and I think that's why Paul brings it up so early on in a book about joy, is because hope and joy are cousins, right? Mm. Like these things, they kind of have to go together, and um, we really can't get apart from them. And so I think it's a, I think he ties those together really intentionally. Even the hope of like, I, re, I remember in like Psalm 103, it talks about how God's going to heal all of our diseases. And I think that's such an interesting one. But all of our requests, for healing from God, all of our prayers and petitions, they're for everybody who believes in him, they're always yes. It's just a matter of when, because yeah. you're going to be whole, you're going to be healthy before him. Um, it's just a matter of in, in this life or the next. Yeah. And so I think you look at so many of those promises, there's such a great hope in that moment. I think as believers, we have to think about it so often when we will look at him face to face. And even as, um, you know, we, we look, as I think it says in James, we look in a mirror dimly now, but once soon we'll see fully. Yeah. So I, I think there's a, there's a great hope that he begins us off there with. And then he gets into this prayer for the Philippian church, tying these two concepts together of um, his desire that they would grow in love as they grow in knowledge and understanding. Yeah. Which was an interesting one to me because if you're at all familiar with reading Paul, you see that there's other books, there's other churches that Paul writes to that he's pretty like firmly almost anti-knowledge, it seems like. Like he's, you know, in his letter to the Corinthians, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. And he's worried that they're becoming almost too about what they can know, that they're just kind of beating each other in intellectual battles, sure. but they're not leaning into loving each other. Yeah. But here he talks about allowing their knowledge, their increase in knowledge to come with an increase in love as well, yeah. to really be the thing that fuels an increase in love. So how do we, how do we reconcile those things? How do we bring them together um, in the relationship between love and knowledge? Yeah, and you know, in part of going back in the New Testament, that passage specifically I'm thinking of is in 1 Corinthians, right? And he's saying, you know, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. What's interesting is, I don't remember specifically it was in Corinth. I know for sure like Colossae struggled with this and maybe even Galatians a bit, the, the letters to them. But that Gnostic issue, mm. that was even a unique kind of knowledge because it wasn't just knowledge, it was insider knowledge. The few of us... We have special knowledge. We have special knowledge and you, and you can totally see how that would puff up. Yeah. We know you don't. You're outside. We're in. I mean, that that's just very logical when you process that out. Plus, I've been in places where people who were more and more theologically astute 
actually led them to be less and less loving. Mm. So both are true, whether it be kind of a, even, a, even a biblical theological knowledge could do the same thing, but especially Gnostic knowledge that's very circle the wagons, it's only us, right? Even we see a lot of people who worship the Bible don't worship God, yeah. you know? Yeah, they love what they can know, Yeah. right? So I think what Paul's in this part saying, it was really cool, he says, in your knowledge and depth of insight, let love, may you grow in your love for one another. And to me, actually, that makes so much sense, right? Like, I think love is one of those words, right? In English, it means everything, so it means nothing. Yeah. But we even talked about this weekend a little bit, that agape, outward facing. I love you no matter what I get back. I'm yeah. not expecting anything in return. I'm just going to give to you. So one of the interesting things, because we had said it, I think that's the beginning of verse 9. That's Paul's prayer. And this is my prayer for you, that your love for each other would abound. So one of the things, though, that's really cool, I know for me, my love for people abounds, it grows based on really two types of knowledge. One is knowledge of them. Mm. We sit and we talk and I hear story and I hear background and I hear experiences and it gives me a new kind of empathy. It gives me new appreciation, right? Because someone just a blank slate, they're Bob, you know, and you're like, oh, there's Bob. But if you sit down and get to know Bob and hear his story and his challenges, his home life and the victories and what God's done in his life, you just go, man, I can appreciate this human being on a different level, on a whole new level. And my love abounds for him even more. Yeah. And that depth of insight, right? And I love that back, that back phrase too. It's not just like awareness of, but I actually get you, mm. understand you. But I think the other kind of knowledge and depth of insight is in the person of Christ. So as I get to know, not just about Jesus, but I know him. Mm. And as I get, have a greater depth of insight of who he is, what am I keep just, what keeps getting reflected to me? Love what I love most. Yeah. Love people. Yeah. You know, he said it so clearly in these top two commands, as it were. But it's like, I think that's how my heart for others enlarges. Yeah. When I, my heart for the Lord enlarges. That's always this, they go together, right? Yeah. And when my love is shrinking for people, it's probably also due to the fact because my love for the Lord is shrinking as well. Yeah. So they're tied. That's why Jesus says the second is like the first. You know, love God wholeheartedly, love your neighbor as yourself. And they don't, you can't really pull them apart. They go as a package. And so I think that same way as my, my knowledge and depth of insight into the person of Christ grows, so my love for who he loves most mm. grows. Yeah, you can't love God without loving what he loves, yeah. right? And he loves people. Yeah. And so you can't separate those things. I also think, too, I think maybe the way that we operate as a, um, as a church, not like HDC, but as the church in America especially, is we have such an emphasis on discipleship through knowledge. And it makes sense, right? Like that makes sense that we would want to know more so that we would be more informed in what we do and things like that. But I think what we get backwards is we are almost attempting to know more so that we have the confidence to go live on mission, so that we like are prepared to go live on mission. Instead of saying, I'm gonna go live on mission, I'm gonna go love people, and then I'm gonna allow that to drive my questions. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna allow that to drive the things that I don't understand, because I'm starting to reach my oikos, I'm starting to reach my world, and they don't get stuff, and I don't have good answers for them. Yeah. And so I need some help. Will you help me give them better answers? And that that is what drives my knowledge. That's what drives my desire to know more, is to reach people. Yeah, yeah because you're, you're 
it's like rather than just doing military drills, yeah, you're at the front line. If you're gonna, oh man, I gotta know how to use this gun, or oh man, I gotta know how to jump into a foxhole. It's needs based. Yeah, I was in seminary, and I really uh, just remember a few classes and professors uniquely. And one of them was a church planter in South America, which in some ways you almost kind of go church planting in South America. I didn't know. I mean, there's Catholic churches there. Yeah. Do we need a lot of churches? But man, he had so many great stories. And we had his class in a very funky framework. It wasn't like one day, three hours. It was all these weird weekends and stuff. Like blocks almost. Yeah, and it was all based on his schedule. But he talked about this great thing. He'd go and share the gospel with a community, and he would take very seriously, find a man of honor, a man of respect, Mm. and and really kind of praying that God would bring this guy to Christ, and he becomes the lead elder. He's the one that, and everyone else respects him Mm. among the community, and they're like, well, if this guy believes in in what you've talked about, we need to find out about it too. And so what he would do is he would establish an elder or a couple elders in a local community after a church gets birthed, and he'd just go start more churches. He's a fascinating guy. Mm. But then when he'd come back, he would say to the guy, hey, what can I help you with? He's like, well, since you've been gone, um, we had this problem come up or I had this question. He's like, oh, and he literally did this. It was like he was wearing an overcoat. I mean, just metaphorically, he just opened and he's like, oh, I got a pamphlet for that. Yeah. And and his whole, but what he didn't do was go here, 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 here. Read all this stuff. For a bunch of questions you're not even asking. Yeah. But when you ask about biblical marriage. Oh, there you go. When you ask about biblical leadership. Yeah. Oh, when you want to know about how to deal with conflict. Oh, and I just thought, oh my gosh, that's so impressive to me. And I've modeled that in one-on-one contacts where I would go, someone comes and we're in a discipleship relationship, meeting regularly. And I would say, what are you working on right now? What are you dealing with? Mm. Oh, let's hear what the Bible has to say. Yeah. And I just feel like that needs-based approach, I don't think it's completely the the best way to go, like meaning it, it sure probably needs some other pieces, but having the ethos of what do you need to know because you're telling me you need to know it Yeah. because you're on the front line. You're not just, I'm just daydreaming about. It's like, man, I had this happen to me. I didn't have a good answer or I don't know what to do. Cool. The Bible has something Let's to say. Let's dig into that. it. Yeah. So I just love that approach. And we miss the fact all the time that when Paul is writing to these churches, he's writing to them to correct things that they are in error on yeah. because he's allowed enough room. He didn't give them the full book on everything, on how to run as a church. Yeah. And so that's why the letters are needed. That's why it's needed for him to circle back and say, whoa, I heard about some of this stuff. Yeah. I'm thinking you're pretty far off base here, here, and here. And yeah. here's what it looks like to be on base. And to the churches to enter the church at Corinth, it's both of those. He'll he'll begin the letter with, Whoa, <laughs> what am I hearing what are you doing? among you? Oh, and now for the questions you have. Yeah. Right. He's, he, the second half of the book turns that way. But it's both and. They did have things they genuinely wanted to know. And in part, he said, But what you want to know, it pales in comparison to what you need to know. Yeah. This is a mess. Yeah. Right. And then he'd go deal with that. Yeah. So I just think that backwardsness is that's what leads us to that knowledge that puffs up because it rarely leads to love, not even because we don't want to love people, but because we're almost looking for knowledge to patch our insecurity, right? When it's like, I actually just go love people in faith because I feel that I've been, I I recognize that God's called me to this mission 
And so in faith, I respond to go love people, to go reach them. Not because I feel well-equipped, not because I feel like I'm the best tool. Like I think if we think that people who are living on mission are living on mission because they think they're the best tool, um, then we have a pretty broken understanding of the people that are actually living on mission because rarely any of them would tell you, and they probably shouldn't be, (laughs) if they'd they'd be be like, oh, I'm I'm perfect for this. Yeah, Yeah, it's like, no, man, I feel super inadequate, but I'm leaning in because I believe I believe in what God's called me to. And, and I'm I want compelled to, to want to share it. Yeah. You know, people who need to know it. Yeah. And those end up being the people who know they, they have wisdom, not just knowledge, right? They have not just information, but they know they know things that are applicable and helpful for leading people to see Jesus in their own life all yeah. that more, much more clearly. Um, let's just land here for as we're starting off this series. What are just some real practical kind of joy takeaways for you as you've begun your study into Philippians, as you're thinking about, man, this is what it's going to look like to lean into. I love even what you said at the beginning. I'm not looking for like joy for the season of fall. Um, but man, I, I'm hoping that digging into this book, this text, is going to change my life moving forward, change the way that I interact with this um, concept, interact with life going forward. So what are kind of some tangible takeaways for you coming away from that? Yeah, I think for sure, again, just again, I'm very simple, leaning back into that basic definition of joy, grace recognized. Well, if I if I'm going to walk this out for a minute, if I'm going to say, God, I want to I want to live a life that is more joyful and, and really experience biblical joy that then if I understand theologically is rooted in Christ can't be taken away from me, but I'm not there today. I have a diff, a dissonance that with that, what do I do? I think I go back to that definition and I start to recognize the grace. Mm. And so there is an activeness, right? So grace recognized it's in the past tense, but there was an active role. I went looking for it. Yeah. So I think again, for some of us, and, and maybe, maybe it's not needed daily, but for sure in the times when I'm saying to myself, I am not experiencing joy today. Okay. Pause. And maybe that's the trigger almost. Okay. Well, if the Bible says that joy is grace recognized, what grace is around my life yeah. that I'm not paying attention to? Life may be hard, but I'm still vertical. Mm. Relationships may be challenged, but not every one of them. Mm. And just to start walking, I have enough food to eat today. Um, I have a a job that I get to contribute. That's cool, you know. And just begin to walk out. I'm not going to hell any longer. That gets at the top of the list, you know. And just noting noting the saving grace and I think even the common grace yeah. in my life. And as I as I make a list, it doesn't have to be like, oh, I guess, you know, the journal and do, because some of us don't want to do that. But if even just mental note at a stop sign, yeah, you know, stoplight, just going, okay, there's some things I'm not paying attention to. I'm not recognizing the grace. Yeah. And that's what I think really drew me to the whole post-it note idea was it so accessible, yeah. tangible. I can write down on this today. I'm today. I, I'm going to draw what I'm, what I, where I see grace recognized, mm. where my joy is found. And, and I just think there's some cool things we can do that keep that out in front of us so that we don't kind of keep falling backwards into this point of despair, but keep forward and go, man, God, look at what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a liturgy, right? It's yeah. a liturgy of grace recognized Discipline. that we need to start each day. 
And I think that's, uh, you know, I think I used to be really early on in my faith, I used to be very like anti-liturgy. It felt overly religious to me. And I just keep realizing I need like rhythm. I need structure in my life. I need things that will remind me of to recognize grace when I don't naturally see it around me. Um, I need that. I, and I can't, I, I'm going to miss it if I don't put stuff in place ahead of time to say, oh no, I'm going to come back to this each and every morning. Even some days, maybe I don't need it. Some days I wake up and I'm like, God is so good. Yeah. Most days I don't wake up that yeah. way. So I need it. Reminder. Yeah. So uh, man, just so excited for this series. I think it's going to be powerful as we lean in as a group, as a community to seeing grace recognized through um, all of these areas and aspects of our life. So hopefully you've got a tangible takeaway coming away from this weekend's message. As always, don't forget to let us know. If you've got one there in the comments, don't forget to like the video, share it with a friend and subscribe so that you get future videos. We'll catch you guys next week on Tangible Takeaways. That's all we've got for this week.